Welcome to Ethical Data Explained. Join us as we discuss data-related obstacles and opportunities with entrepreneurs, cybersecurity specialists, lawmakers, and even hackers to get a better understanding of how to handle data ethically and legally. Here to keep you informed in this data-saturated world is your host, Henry NG. Good morning, good afternoon, welcome back to Ethical Data Explained. I'm your host today, Henry NG, and today we have a very special guest, data scientist, worked for Facebook, currently works for WisePop, worked for Amazon. He's got a long list on his CV that makes him a very impressive individual from analytics to intelligence, um, all the way down to data science itself. Uh, we have Romain Vermoulin. Um, and yeah, Romain, uh, probably, like I said, mispronounced your uh, surname, but feel free to correct me and um, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background and, and your experience in the tech industry. Yeah, well, first of all, uh, thanks a lot for having me. Um, my my uh, honor to uh, to be invited. I would say it's my first uh, podcast, so I'm not exactly uh, used to this. Um, so a good experience anyways. Uh, thanks for the introduction. Uh, so uh, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm head of uh, data science uh, at the moment at Wastebox. I've been here uh, about two years, um, so helping to... Uh, shape the tech for um, um, the first marketing uh, platform uh, that helps to engage visitors uh, directly uh, on our customers' website. Uh, prior to that, I was about eight years uh, at Amazon and uh, Facebook, um, helping to scale the e-commerce platforms uh, with a focus on on like large-scale uh, data and, and operations. Um, to keep it simple. And um, over my career, I've moved between France and China, uh, and I'm currently based in Singapore for about um, the past past seven years. Brilliant, brilliant. I've recently come back from Singapore. Absolutely love the food there, love the hawker markets, love the weather. Um, great it's place a to great, be. Uh, <laughs> a great place to live, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we are loving it too. Exactly, exactly. So Wise Pops, you're, you're there at the moment. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the kind of product that you offer? What's the company's mission? And and who do you target as as clients on a regular basis? Sure. Um, I, I'll start with a, a big number. Um, essentially, if you look at the global online uh, ad spend, it's about six hundred billion dollars. So a huge uh, a huge market. Um, and if you look at where it's spent, it's mostly brands um, paying Facebook and and Google and TikTok and other providers to um, acquire traffic. Uh, so they are using those platforms to uh, to target customers and and get them to uh, to come to their website. Um, but once they reach uh, their, their, their website actually little happens uh, purely in terms of uh, this this budget less than five percent of it uh, goes to uh, the brand's own uh, website in terms of uh, in terms of, of marketing and, and and engagement and and reach um, and it kind of results in on-site marketing being uh, pretty far behind the marketing that happens on the big platforms, something that I've obviously seen in the 
in my career. Uh, the large platforms are very impressive at uh, giving you tools to uh, run your business and target your audience and communicate messages on the large platforms. But when it comes to your own website, um, there's actually very little levers for you to play with. And so the outcome is you have 100 visitors coming to your site, less than 2.5 uh, end up converting. Um, and so we think that um, brands should focus a lot more on their um, on what happens on their site. Um, and that's where Wisepops come in. Uh, so we offer them with uh, on-site channels, uh, typically uh, notifications or pop-ups or any ways that we can uh, engage with a visitor while they are on the site. Uh, with a purpose to uh, provide a, a delightful experience, understand what they are looking for, uh, trying to uh, share the messages that the brands want to, to share with them and ultimately trying to uh, to convert them. Um, and the timing is actually uh, uh, quite relevant with the recent uh, privacy laws. Uh, they make uh, targeting a lot less efficient uh, on the large platforms. Uh, and so that means that brands end up paying a lot more for fewer results. It used to be the case where you could have your website mostly up and running. You have uh, decent product pages. Um, you have a smooth checkout process. Um, you know, your, your site is pretty well set up. And if you wanted more sales, you would get, acquire more traffic. Mm -hmm. And they would uh, simply, uh, you would push more people through your uh, your conversion funnel. Mm -hmm. um, and that's basically how things have been. But now that the targeting on the platforms is is less accurate and more expensive, uh, we think it is time that brands take more uh, pay more attention to to kind of the uh, right the right side of the funnel. Uh, so what happens once uh, once the visitors uh, land on their site uh, and how do they interact with the brand? Uh... So yeah, that's kind of uh, where waste pops. Uh, come in, in the, uh, <laughs> yeah. the online uh, advertisement space. Perfect, perfect. So you've talked a lot about brands. Do you only kind of work within that e-commerce realm or do you work with people outside of the world of e-commerce as well to cement their brands or websites? Uh, we're not only e-commerce. Uh, e-commerce is still like 70% of our customer base. Um, but we work with... Uh, um, different industries uh, being uh, NGOs or uh, gaming or uh, we, we don't really have um, a strong uh, uh, focus like uh, apart from from e-commerce anyone with a, a website I think should benefit from uh, the ability to uh, to engage uh, with uh, the audience on their website uh, and so it's not specific to e-commerce mm -hmm. brilliant and we have small and large uh, customers it's um, more like uh, it's usually uh, like some 80 20 uh, uh, share we have a majority of small sites but we do get larger ones as well uh, things like l'oreal or unilever uh, do use vice uh, pops on, on on some of their sites okay this podcast is brought to you by soaks a leading proxy provider enabling your business to unlock the world of publicly available data Get data at scale. Soaks data. Cool. And what 
attracted you to Wise Pops? I, I know that both you and the the, the CEO Benjamin Cain, you both worked at Amazon. Was there any link there? Do you, do you feel like there's any kind of influence and experiences you've taken from Amazon into Wise Pops as well? Uh, for sure. Um, so Ben and I are, are friends from uh, our days in in Amazon, uh, quite a few years ago. Um, and it's been quite a journey, I would say. So Ben started uh, Wisepubs back then, uh, and and I've been kind of on the side, uh, admiring the uh, shaping. He was uh, able to uh, bootstrap Wisepubs from scratch, uh, from basically uh, zero dollars to one million of recurring uh, uh, revenue to two millions of recurring revenue, and we are on our way to 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 three million dollars uh, of of ARR. So I've always been uh, in 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 awe at the <laughs> at the fit that that this represents. Um, I have a lot of admiration for him, uh, but as I said, I I was kind of watching it on the sides for a while until uh, the opportunity and the timing finally was uh, was right. Um, I was particularly attracted by um, decentralization nature of uh, the mission of Wise Pops, which is to empower uh, brands to, um, to to engage uh, with their audience on their own website. Uh, they are very dependent on the large platforms, uh, and and there is a, a huge gap between what is offered and available on on, on the platforms and, and what they can do on their own. Um, so kind of this this mission to empower. Uh, the individual uh, stores what uh, was appealing to me, and Wise Pops was also at a, like a cornerstone in their journey. Uh, it was born with a much smaller scope. It was initially a more simple uh, pop-up tool, uh, but now the vision has gotten pretty, uh, pretty big, uh, and and we want to be a. Uh, a full-fledged uh, marketing platform, and so there was a lot of uh, need to be more data-driven and to have uh, uh, intelligent products and have multiple channels and uh, provide um, easy-to-use and, and automated uh, tools and campaigns. Um, and being a much smaller structure than the companies also meant that I would have a much more direct impact on the, the business, and that's something that was. Uh, appealing to me yeah. so in the end yeah kind of a planet's alignment between uh, um, inspiring mission and um, um, the ability to to have a, a direct impact plus uh, the fact that, that Ben and I are, have a good trust and, and are good friends um, all of that made it uh, possible <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm still uh, I'm still enjoying it brilliant so Ben, if you end up listening to this podcast, uh, Romain is very, very happy to work with you by the sounds of it <laughs> and for Wise Pops. But so, so Romain, you came in um, to Wise Pops to kind of work pretty much as the head of data science. So data science, a very broad topic in general. What do you focus on on a, on a day to day? Like, What does your role actually entail? Yeah. Um... Well, first of all, I pay little attention to uh, to job titles. Um, be it now in a small company where it's, as you say, it's pretty broad, uh, and and if the company is not that big, uh, you end up doing a a lot of different roles. Uh, but same in a bigger company, I I even prided myself for a while at at Facebook, 
where I've carried this same job title for years that referenced an organization that, that was there when I joined, but had disappeared since uh, years. Uh, and I kind of like to, to, to keep this old job title because it yeah. didn't mean much. It didn't reflect anyways what I was doing. So with that being said, I'm, I'm still happy to talk about what I focus on uh, on a day-to-day. I could maybe split it into three three areas. Um, okay. One is like the kind of the core of my role, which is around data, um, and I'm helping to build the foundations uh, for Wisepops to be a a data driven uh, a product uh, company, uh, and that goes from all the way to uh, collecting the data and storing it uh, to processing it and then uh, um, delivering it into our products. So that has many facets to it, uh, very technical and engineering ones, more scientific ones when we build uh, uh, models as well as some operational and even legal sides of it. Um, so it's a bit daunting, uh, but essentially I'm, uh, uh, I'm I'm kind of looking at this angle uh, uh, primarily and yeah, do a lot of uh, of it on my own. I leverage also the the, the team to uh, integrate and and uh, you know share share responsibilities and share the fun. Um, the second angle um, will be more something like innovation. Um, I often uh, try to shape the work I do in the form of a, like a, a technical demo. Um, it, it may span a bit beyond data, uh, but for instance, uh, last year, um, I built um, like a proof of concept for automated uh, on-site notifications uh, that, that we could build on uh, Shopify. Uh, and so now we are trying to, to turn that into an, an actual product. Uh, or more recently, I built a demo for um, um, like a analytics dashboard um, and we are working to actually ship it to our clients. Uh, so I'm trying to um, to turn uh, yeah to, to, to showcase what way is possible with different uh, technologies uh, and and hoping that uh, we can turn these into product uh, as a team. And the last angle is a bit more also like a vague umbrella of technical leadership, I would say. I'm also involved in the early stages of conversations um, when we are shaping uh, ideas and potential features that that we want to work on. Um, I'm trying to bridge like what's what's possible and what are some technical implications to uh, uh, to the technical side of things. Uh, so between the product strategy and the and the technical uh, capabilities. Uh, it's also a role that uh, I'm enjoying. Man who wears many hats, <laughs> having yeah, to cover yeah. a lot of wise pops. <laughs> uh, so out of obviously those three sections and your roles in general, like what would you say is the most rewarding thing about your work? And what would you say is the most challenging thing about your work? Um, good question. <laughs> I would, I would start with the most challenging one. Something that I was less exposed to um, in, in, in big companies. 
Um, typically, in, in a big company, you are not exposed to the end-to-end -end of, of what you're working on uh, means. Um, and so you usually have different teams in charge of different aspects, like from the data engineering, maybe to the web distribution, to uh, the legal aspects. Uh, and and when I came to Wisepops, I was uh, responsible for um, shipping what I was building into production. And that was uh, like quite a, a challenge, reason being that Wisepops is obviously not operating at, at Facebook scale. Uh, we are much smaller, but still we process some 10 billion requests per month um, covering the millions of visitors that thousands of our customers have. And so that means that we also cannot mess up with uh, the services that we put together. Our infrastructure needs to be sufficiently well designed that it doesn't break our clients' websites uh, or our bank accounts. Uh, like we need to come up with uh, the uh, a good enough uh, architecture and, 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 and scalability from, from the start. Uh, and so it's a pretty high bar. Um, you, you would think like if you're a startup you or if you work for your own company, you only need to address the needs of your own company. But as a SaaS, there's kind of this multiplier effect where we need to address the needs of all of our companies. And so instead of uh, scaling for one, we need to scale for a thousand. Uh, since since Westpops was already a pretty mature uh, business in, in, in a way. Um, and so that was uh, tons of good learnings and um, and challenges. So I learned uh, I learned a lot from it. We have very short uh, iteration cycles. So between the moment we ideate uh, on, on on some new uh, concept to this phase where we experiment on it, and then we're going to go about implementation, and then we're going to go about uh, uh, getting customer feedback. All of that happens pretty quickly. Um, and it's quite rewarding to you know to to be able to oversee um, what you're working on from from a from end to end uh, and and get direct feedback on it. I think that rings true. So on on your website you have uh, a quote that says, "Wise Pops breaks the technological wall that separates brands and people." And I feel like even on small projects that kind of just showed showed how that works. And I know one of the the key ways that Wise Pops works, if if I'm not mistaken, is that you look a lot into the client's on-site audience and, and like work on customization uh, for things like their pop-ups and, and based on audience behaviors and profiles. Like, How do you collect that data? And, and do you feel like collecting that data helps improve the customer experience overall? And um, obviously a, a slew of GDPR and, and CCPA goes behind that, but just on the basis is how, like what's the process of collecting that data and, and using that data from your side? Yeah, sure. Maybe first of all, we we are privacy centric, and so anything we do, we need to comply with uh, the, the the GDPR and, and the different privacy uh, privacy laws. Um, and so we are quite careful to uh, ask for a consent before we uh, collect any uh, any uh, visitor data. But that being said, our whole um, uh, product is about uh, engaging with a, a visitor. So at some point, we also need to uh, uh, deliver a message to uh, 
to, to the customer's uh, uh, visitor. Um, and so we, we do collect um, uh, data. So once we got the uh, approval to, um, to collect data, we load um, code, uh, a piece of code on, on the website. So our customers install WisePops on their website and WisePops will uh, uh, monitor simple, uh, simple usage uh, activity um, to personalize the uh, experience. Um, we, we really focus on first party data. Uh, and so in order to uh, personalize the experience during the, the browsing session, we really focus on that particular browsing session. We are not there to harvest whatever personal information we can get from third parties. Uh, like we don't touch that at all. We simply uh, stick to uh, what happens on the, on the website when the visitor joins on the website. And so if they consent to, uh, to, to, to like a, a, the, the, the cookie and the privacy policies, um, then we will do a anonymous um, kind of tracking on, on, on the browser. There's also some integrations that customers can, can bring. Um, and so we can map, uh, for instance, their segments on Clavio or on Shopify uh, to, to better target uh, the, the audience with, with particular campaigns. And so it's, it's as simple as that. So we are, we are later responsible for uh, uh, collecting this data and, and, and storing it. Uh, the data belongs to the customer, like we are not there to, to, to reset it. That's not our business. That's not what we want to do. Um, so we simply um, collect uh, first party customer data. They have, our customers have access uh, to it. It's, it's just uh, anonymous data. And they can decide, uh, so, so later like the, the compliance piece means they can access it. They can um, request uh, the data to be, uh, to be deleted. Um, and at the end all of that, it enables us to, to do some profiling on uh, the visitor, what, um, device uh, based like, like on what device they use, what uh, geographical location they are in, um, what kind of products they see on the page. Uh, we try to infer uh, what their goal is, uh, where where they are at in the in the conversion funnel. Are they gonna likely gonna convert? Do they need a little nudge to uh, to complete the cart? Uh, would they be interested in this other product? And and so we try to really um, figure out the minimal amount of personalization we can we can take uh, without much information because at the end of the day the the like the cookie laws they, they do impact us we will obviously be a lot more uh, capable of personalizing stuff by calling someone uh, uh, by their name or things like this yeah. but if you take the the parallel to like a real store like you enter a real a real physical store for the first time and the salesperson there welcomes you by, by your name, like you're like, uh, what? How do you know me? Like it, it would definitely not be a um, a good experience for you. Uh, but on the other hand, as you walk the store, the salesperson will kind of understand what you're looking for and will be able to provide you uh, better advice and um, 
and give you a bit more uh, personal touch uh, during your your actual walk of, of the store. And so it's more like this lens that we are trying to adopt. Like you're on the website, you engage with the brand. Uh, we try to understand where you're at in your uh, in your customer journey and and map that to uh, what the brand has in mind uh, for terms of messaging that they want to deliver or experience they want their visitors to have. So we try to bridge this gap with a little uh, bits of profiling that, that we are able to, uh, to capture uh, on the site. It's quite, uh, it's quite a, an interesting exercise. Combines a bit of uh, like data science, obviously, but as, as well as some, some psychology in, in a way. Um, Sounds like a lot of uh, detective work. <laughs> you're basically it's not about the person it's about what they're doing and, and the the small actions of like what they're looking at that determines how you pro how you create that profile um yeah that that must be quite a difficult job for you on a regular basis i'm not gonna lie um like what was especially managing that data and like having that information to hand and and that limited information to hand like what are the challenges um that you face you know in managing that data and and how do you normally address those challenges? Um, not being able to use like the due to cookie laws, the in-depth information about a client. Um, has that kind of been a, a major issue for you on a, on a regular basis? I wouldn't say it's, it's making it a lot more challenging for, for us. Um, we do need to be more careful to make sure that the data we collect is anonymous. And sometimes that requires extra steps for instance, if you at some point have a log with the IP address, the IP address is uh, uh, identifiable data and um, and we need to uh, obfuscate it. So we do some processing on, on the IP address so they become anonymous. Um, if you capture you know, just some payload from, from a web page, it may include stuff like uh, uh, some personal information from, from the user and you don't want that to end up in your in your database either. Um, so, so we need to, to pay this extra attention into, uh, in, into what, we, uh, what, what we collect. Um, but otherwise, I think it's, it's mostly industry standards. Like we, we do, we run encryption uh, from the moment the data is in transit to the data, the moment it is uh, in storage. Um, we provide access and, and management to the client to our clients. We secure uh, data um, internally as well. We have some. Uh, we are not a big team, but still, we limit who in the team can uh, access uh, uh, production data. Um, so things like this. Uh, overall, the the less we do and, and the more simple we we keep it. I think the easier it is to to keep it secure. Um, and so we, we don't have that much uh, processes where the data is, is moving everywhere. It's a pretty straightforward uh, flow. Uh, and, and and so it's more secure by uh, by design. Um, kind of outside of the data, I think at the end, we, we are obviously um, impacted by having a bit less signals than, than we could have from uh, from from uh, on-site visitors uh, due due to the privacy constraints, 
Uh, but I also think we are we are less exposed um, because, as I said, our model relies relies mostly on on first party data, and um, and, and and unlike uh, some other advertisers that rely extensively on the ability to uh, track you uh, amongst multiple websites to understand that you've been visiting this type of product on this website and so they can promote you to that other website like our, our model is not that we are really focused on a brand owner's uh, own website and and so i think that has also uh lessened our exposure to uh to, to those privacy laws and so we we need to comply and, and we are compliant, but it has not affected us uh, fundamentally, I would say. So it does sound like WisePops is the more focused of a, lo a lot of the other providers and, and really focused on the right data, the right level of data, and also directly into the brand itself. And obviously with with what you said about Ben starting wise pops and and the progress that you've you've gotten over the uh, the number of years like 2023 is a new year is there any kind of room for growth or, or innovation in your opinion uh, for for your service and do you feel like you know the rise of ml and ai tech is that something that is going to be integrated into any products or, or any competition to to your product do you think yeah, yeah, lots of uh, underlying questions. Um, so we do we do have some machine learning uh, already. We do have some plans to have more. Um, like in, in terms of opportunity, as I said earlier, the, the purely the market size uh, I think is is, is pretty vast uh, and and quite lagging behind where it should be. So so there's really a lot of uh, a lot of opportunity. The the tools and, and the maturity of, of on-site marketing is, is really behind that of the larger e-commerce platforms. Uh, and, and so in a way, it's, it's a bit unfortunate, but it's also fortunate for us because we don't need to look too far to, to have a big pain, pain points that, that we can help our customers uh, solve. Uh, so for instance, one of the recurring pain points in e-commerce is uh, cart abandonment. Uh, so about 70% of visitors who start, like who add something to their cart, who did not, could not end up uh, purchasing it. Picture yourself in that uh, hypothetical physical store we, we had earlier. You can picture a hundred people with stuff on their cart and they leave it on the ground and they leave the store. Like you do want to understand uh, why they did not go to the, the cashier and, and, and made uh, the purchase. And so we want to start looking into this uh, and equip uh, brand, uh, like equip site owners with um, like smart segments that predict cart abandonment that, that they could use in their campaigns to uh, identify those visitors likely to uh, abandon their cart, but also likely to convert if they are given the right nudge. Uh, and so we're going to experiment both on the prediction piece and the the, the way that we can uh, uh, influence that. Um, and it's just one example. Uh, like, uh, as I said, the problems are pretty well known. We don't need to, to reinvent the wheel. Um, and there's, there's a, big, uh, a big opportunity ahead. I think in terms of timing, 
things are accelerating in, in on-site marketing. And you could say in a way it's reaching a certain tipping point. If you look back some six plus years ago, having a, a pop-up to collect, to, 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 to prompt users to subscribe to the newsletter was, was relatively a new use case. And right now it's become a really clear uh, sales channel. So, so there's a, like an industry benchmark you can compare to in terms of how much conversion and how much dollars you can get from, uh, from, from, from collecting this, this audience. And we, we started from there and then we thought, what's the next competitor that, that, that's going to come at us? Um, and that's, that's actually how Ben uh, came up with the idea of on-site notifications. He was trying to picture what will be disruptive to Wisepop's business. And instead of letting it disrupt it, he went ahead and, and started building it. So we came up with the notifications. What we are trying to do now with the notifications is also um, trying to convert them into an established sales channels. So figuring out what are the use cases that work well with this little bell and, and this little inbox that, that you can have. It's your inbox on, on the customer website. It's a much smaller footprint, but it's a much uh, uh, deeper content that you can fit into it. So it works very well for mobile devices, for instance. And so we're trying to identify the right ways to interact with uh, the visitors through these uh, notifications and, and, and reach to a, a place where it's also become a very mature uh, sales channels when, when you know you're going to install the bell on your website and it's pretty clear what kind of uh, returns you're going to get and what kind of dollar value you can associate to that. Um, so, so I think it's it's kind of where we are heading. heading. Um, and it just feels really like the the scratch of the surface of of, uh, of what we, we could be doing behind. But things, as I said, are kind of coming together. Um, these past two years, we've uh, invested a lot into our our campaign engine, or our tech infrastructure, or our data stack, uh, and and those things are kind of in place now. So we are pretty well equipped to um, to start building the the, the use cases uh, one after another. And the good news is that they are they are well known. Uh, you ask any e-commerce uh, store owner what what are the pain points. Uh, so some of them are kind of out of our scope, uh, but a good chunk is something we can influence by uh, uh, providing a more intelligent uh, campaigns on, on their own website. Sounds exciting. So, yeah, this is where, yeah, it's quite exciting. Uh, good, uh, good market, good timing, and good team. It's usually the <laughs> frameworks that uh, that VCs uh, use to uh, to evaluate an opportunity, and I do think this one is a is a good one. Brilliant. Uh, it was really good to hear. I'm really excited to see how Wise Pops develops in, in 2023 and onwards, um, not just scratching the surface, but making real shifts in, in the market as well. Uh, so we come to the end of our kind of normal interview questions. Uh, we have the the three questions that we ask all of our guests um, before we wrap up. The first one is, who in the world of data or technology would you most like to take out to lunch? You can say Ben. If Ben's listening, I'm sure he'd, he'd love to. Yeah, well... <laughs> It's it's not uh, it's achievable. Let's say uh, I don't need to uh, to wish for it. <laughs> Apart from geographical distance, yeah. <laughs> we, do, uh, <laughs> we do get a lunch whenever uh, we are together. Um, 
I was thinking of the of uh, Greg Brockman actually is the the founder and like the co-founder and, and the president of OpenAI. Um, mm-hmm. So behind ChatGPT, and I think before that he was CTO at Stripe, and at both so both companies are huge and 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 he's also uh, grown them from from the funding stage to how big they are now. So I'd be very curious to hear the stories and. <laughs> and the learnings and, and learn how it's done yeah yeah i mean <laughs> pretty amazing fit. if if for any reason greg is listening to this we'll, we'll try and organize something and, and you can get in contact with romaine um i have a feeling he's a very busy man at the moment with everything going on yeah. with open ai but Probably. maybe one day maybe one day <laughs> our second question is what piece of software could you not live without so Firstly, I, I could I could probably leave without software. So I would uh, restrict the scope to work. With, I could not work without. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I think it's a bit tough to pick one. Uh, but I've been I've been thinking of um, like really the the, the core uh, tools that 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 are really tough to replace. There's a number of tools and services we use that that I think we could. Uh, find alternatives or easily uh, swap with another. Um, but yeah, I think the core ones probably boil down to your text editor and your cloud provider and something in between that that brings the code from your text editor to your cloud provider. Yeah. And roughly today, I like I started using VS Code not so long ago. I was on Vim before, still love it. But VS Code is really packaging a, a huge amount of, of experience without much configuration. AWS, same story, packages a huge amount of value. Uh, it's not the simplest to use, but you can go from very like high level services to very low levels as well. Uh, so it's pretty vast uh, what you can achieve with it. And then GitHub in the middle is same, packaging a tremendous amount of, of, of services between obviously the Git and the code versioning, but also the um, the, the, the dev machines, uh, the code deployments. Um, it, it's pretty uh, remarkable how they are fitting all of that into a, into one package. I feel like majority of our guests that have come on have always said uh, GitHub is as the main go-to that they couldn't live without. It's just yeah, it yeah. is an invaluable software and platform for, for anyone in the world of tech. Um, the final question we have is when you, when have you as an individual used data to solve a real problem that you have had? doesn't have to be work related, could be personal related. Um, but yeah, how have you utilized data to solve a, a real world problem? So yeah, re- real world is a, is a, is a big word, but I, like on the personal side, I, um, I like to do my accounting myself. Um, and so I've usually written scripts to download my my bank statements from different accounts and you know pass categorize the transactions uh, calculate uh, unrealized uh, profits uh, or calculate expenses and and and, and income and, and things like this um, having lived in different countries you have different currencies and it gets tricky to uh, reconcile all of that and so I've usually spend probably too much time doing this myself. Um, 
and I'm I'm yet to find a service actually that provides the same um, you know uh, value out of the box. Um, if if there is one, I'm definitely happy to switch. But um, yeah, it's it's one uh, one area like one one personal uh, small project that I've been uh, doing on the side uh, for for quite a few years, and I do enjoy it. Brilliant, brilliant. What I will say is, uh, if you need any um, beta testers, I I would love to uh, have have access to the tool, uh, especially with the end of the tax year coming in the UK. It, it will make uh, life a little bit easier than having to pull all yeah. of manually. Um, but that is the uh, that is the end of the podcast. That's all we have time for uh, this week. Uh, firstly, I want to thank all of the listeners uh, for tuning in and, and listening to our podcast. And uh, most importantly, I want to thank Romain for being such an amazing host, uh, sorry, amazing guest um, and answering all of our wonderful questions that we had, um, some of them very in-depth. Uh, and we hope to have you again at some point, Romain, uh, maybe in a, when there's uh, some wise pops developments that you want to share with us. Cool. Well, thanks again for the invitation and uh, it was a, a good chat. I hope to, to come back at some point here. That's great. And again, thank you very much for tuning into Ethical Data Explained. I'm your host, Henry G, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you. Ethical Data Explained is brought to you by Soaks, a reputable provider of premium residential and mobile proxies, a gateway to data worldwide at scale. Make sure to search for Ethical Data Explained in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found, and hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. On behalf of the team here at Soaks, thanks for listening.